Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm extremely excited to have Dr. Nancy O'Hara here with us. Dr. O'Hara is a board-certified pediatrician who specializes in treating pans and pandas and basal ganglia encephalitis um, and other neurodevelopmental disorders as well. She is a leading trainer and mentor of clinicians in the U.S., and globally educating medical professionals to recognize, diagnose, and treat PANS, PANDAS, and basal ganglia encephalitis. Dr. O'Hara has graduated with the highest honors from Byron Moore College as part of the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Society from the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. She earned her master's degree in public health from the University of Pittsburgh and completed her residency Chief Residency and General Pediatric Fellowship at the University of Pittsburgh. Before she began her medical career, Dr. O'Hara taught kids with autism. From 1993 to 1998, Dr. O'Hara was a practicing general pediatrician and partner in a group practice. In 99, she decided her she began her consultative um, integrative practice for children with special needs, dedicating her practice to treating children with new developmental disorders. So like ADHD, PANS, PANDAS, OCD, Lyme, and autism. She's the author of Demystifying PANS and PANDAS. And if you haven't had a chance yet, you must get hold of your book because it is gold. Welcome, Dr. O'Hara. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. And I'm really excited to be here. And now if we have five minutes left to talk after that <laughs> introduction. I, um, I mean, the, people need to know how how much work you've done in this area and how much information you have. Um, I think it's just, it's amazing um, to kind of know that. Um, you know, I like to start off by just always asking how you got started. And we did read a little bit about how you were helping and teaching kids with autism, but how did you get into this whole world of functional medicine? Yeah, it's it's a great question and one I love to talk about because um, I was a teacher of children with autism and I was a really lousy teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, kudos to all the teachers out there, but I took the easier road and went to medical school. Mm -hmm. And bec But because I had experience with children with autism, I had a lot of children when I was a partner in a general practice with autism. And I had one child who had very severe allergies, asthma, and at four and a half still wasn't talking um, and obviously had a diagnosis of autism. And they went away on vacation and he got sick and they called the nurse in the office and she said, well, stop milk because it's it's exacerbating the diarrhea. And I had wanted him to get off of it because of the asthma and the allergies and all of that, but never thought about it with the autism. She stopped milk and he started talking. And oh she goodness. called me and she said, you know, we're on vacation. I've taken time off from work. I'm working with him full time. I'm like, keep doing that. That's what it is. They came back. He got over his diarrheal illness. She put him back on milk. He stopped talking. She called me and I said, well, it's the travel. It's the, you know, and um, thankfully she didn't listen to me. 
And she did the trial three or four times. And every time she stopped it, he started talking. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that stops dairy and gluten is going to start talking and their autism is, is cured. But he was one of those children that really recovered. And she found my mentor, Dr. Sydney Baker. And um, she came to me and I knew her from where I grew up in West Virginia. And she said, you've got to go meet this guy. And I thought, well, this is hogwash. Diet, change autism. I mean, I was like, my parents are physicians. I was tried and true, but I was going through four years of infertility and nothing was working. And I said, I'll go as a patient. And that's what changed my life. And I learned about functional medicine. I sat at Sid's feet. And for anybody who doesn't know Sid, he is the grandfather of functional medicine. One of the most brilliant men I know. And he and I are friends and colleagues still. And and he taught me. And then I started going to all the conferences and doing all the readings. And and I started my practice, uh, got pregnant, started my practice. And uh, um, then about 15 years later, um, and, and this is not in my book and not something that I want you to run and tell my now 24-year-old son, <laughs> but... Um, he developed pandas and pans and he was a neurotypical young man um, and abruptly developed seizure like tics. Um, And he, that a couple weeks before he had had a strep infection, got bit by a Lyme positive tick and also had a viral infection. And thankfully, because of what I knew at the time, and I was just dabbling in pans, pandas and basal ganglia encephalitis at the time, I threw the kitchen sink at him and he got better. But as we talk, I can tell you a little bit more of his story and other children's story that I think helps everybody understand the disease more. But that's how I got into functional medicine and how I got into pans and pandas. And, and you know, now I just want to teach more people about it and help others as I get old and, and got to retire someday, um, get more people to understand it, assess it and treat it appropriately. You know, it's so true when you say that you need to get more people just to know about it because um, I, you know, I live on the other side of the world. I live in Dubai and there are not that many people that know about it at all. Right. Most parents stumble across fans and pandas when their kids are going through it. Right. And, and they have no answers and they go to pediatrician after pediatrician, they go to developmental pediatrician, like you name it, they go everywhere. A lot of function medicine doctors as well probably have not heard of it. Um, And so my first question to you is, where has pans and pandas come from? Is it just because we didn't know about it, we didn't label it before? Or is it something just completely new to us? Um, it's not new, um, but uh, all uh, it is an autoimmune disease where the immune system is attacking self. And in this particular case, it's attacking the basal ganglia, a part of the brain that causes OCD, anxiety, tics, et cetera. So autoimmune diseases of all kinds, especially in developed countries, have increased astronomically. If you include autism, it's one in two in the United States, one in two. Um, And, you know, the reason for that is, and for all autoimmune disease, I believe, is we live in a more toxic world and we have depleted our own individual ecosystems 
of the plethora of germs that we need by living indoors more, using toilets, wearing shoes. And I'm not saying not to use a toilet or wear yeah. shoes, but, you know, an antibiotics and antibacterial soap and all those things that have depleted our immune systems of the resiliency, the immune tolerance that we need. And so the children that are more susceptible that get a trigger, and we'll talk about that, can then get that disease. But this disease, pandas, was first, the phrase was first coined in 1997 by Sue Suido. And it stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorder Associated with Strep. And unfortunately, I think if you talk to Sue, and I have talked to her about this, she would say she wished she had named it the Suido disease. Yeah. But because she is a very um, humble woman, you know, she wasn't going to name it after herself. Exactly. And the acronym itself has made it controversial because yeah. people don't take it seriously. They show you pictures of the animal pandas rather than talking about the disease. So in yeah. 2012, 30 clinicians and researchers got together to try to make it less controversial. And rather than it just be strep, they included mycoplasma, Lyme, viruses, metabolic triggers like um, anesthesia, um, pesticides. Um, and PAN stands for Pediatric Abrupt Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome. But still, that made it even more controversial. Um, and um, so now uh, we are waiting for the American Academy of Pediatrics to decide if it is a real thing or not. But what is real is that there is basal ganglia encephalitis. And, you know, in this country, at least, we have seen so much post-COVID inflammatory conditions. And that's all this is. This is a post some kind of trigger, usually an infection that then causes additional inflammation. And when it's in the toes, it's COVID toes. But when it's in the brain, it's encephalitis, brain inflammation. And this just happened to several of my patients. And none of the physicians that were caring for them, neurologists, psychiatrists, believed in pans or pandas, but they said, this is post-COVID neuroinflammation. Well, great. Let's just yeah. call it post-infectious neuroinflammation. It's all the same thing. So I hope that answers that question. Yeah, I, I, I tend to be a little verbose, so no, stop I me love at any that. Time. I think it just gives a lot more clarity to even to parents as well, right? That this you just don't run after a name or a label. That's something I keep saying over and over again. Don't be so connected to a diagnosis. It's really about what that whole presentation of what your kid is coming with and what that really means and really going underneath the surface trying to figure out exactly what that is and so Absolutely. for parents listening in what are they coming to you with like what is happening with their child that then presents as pans and pandas or brain inflammation exactly so the by definition, these children usually, although it can happen in teenagers and young adults, have an abrupt onset of OCD of any sort. And remember, OCD can be excessive worrying. OCD can be looping thoughts or an OCD-like restrictive eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And two of the following, anxiety, 
like separation anxiety, a child that used to go to school easily and now won't is clinging to their mom, a, a nine-year-old, for example, behavioral regression, baby talk, or an 11-year-old that all of a sudden is watching Barney or, you know, whatever videos are, yeah. are you know, little child videos these days. Um, I, I, motor problems like tics, handwriting deterioration. If all of a sudden your child can't copy a picture or their handwriting looks totally different or they um, have what's called margin drift where they're neglecting the left side of the page. Um, uh, another one is mood dysregulation. I call it the zero to 60. They're fine one minute, the next minute they're crying or or angry for no real reason. Um, and it can be depression. Um, or a somatic symptom. And that can be, especially if that's together with one of the other ones, and that can be an abrupt onset of urinary symptoms, bedwetting when the child was previously dry at night, urinary frequency, urgency, discomfort, and you ruled out a urine infection, or sleep disturbances, um, what's called REM disinhibition. So they all of a sudden um, can't stay still at night. They're all over the place. The covers are, are you know, they're one in the bed or the other. Um, and these are very frequent. I mean, when you have this diagnosis, the sleep disturbances are 85%. The, the handwriting deterioration is 90%. Um, you know, the OCD is, is up to 90%, the ticks about 70%, but it's by definition, abrupt onset. Now, one thing about that though, is if it is caused by strep, mycoplasma, COVID, or another virus, it really should be abrupt onset. But two other things, if it's caused by mold, like a water damage building or caused by Lyme and Lyme is everywhere in the world, yeah. even in Dubai, yeah. even if you haven't traveled to Connecticut where I am, it's it's <laughs> yeah, still there. It's everywhere. Um, or a Lyme co-infection like Bartonella or Babesia, those can be more subacute and it's still neuroinflammation. And then the other reason it can be somewhat more subacute, meaning, you know, coming on a little bit more slowly is if the initial presentation was at age two or three. Yeah. And now this one is more subacute. So it's very interesting. I just saw a young woman who's 13 now with autism and she came to us for increasing anxiety and it's been coming on more and more. And mom didn't see it as any more in that. But when we dug deeper in the history, she had an abrupt onset of change when she was three. And then she got diagnosed with autism because she met the name it, blame it, tame it kind of criteria of autism spectrum disorder. And right now, all she's got is anxiety. She's, you know, a brilliant girl. She's doing great, you know, but this may well be pans or pandas that started when she was three. And now if we figure it out, so we tested her for Lyme and Bartonella and Babesia. We tested her for mycoplasma and strep. There was COVID. So maybe that rekindled something. And we'll see. And, and um, so when a child has a change, an ab a abrupt or subacute change, think back and think about what could have triggered this. Yeah, especially when they're 
a little bit older, right? If they're coming to you at two or three, it's probably going to be more abrupt, right? You're going to look at what just Absolutely. happened. Um, but in these subacute cases, is it that do they need something to have happened again to be a trigger? So, you know, if it's been Lyme and it's been kind of not really dormant, but it's been there, it hasn't really been like, you know, it hasn't been causing this huge fire in their body, but then something happens, right? Whether it's like a fever or it could be something traumatic. Um, it could be just anything, right? Anything that, that triggers it. Could it, could that then just bring that out? Um, and bring more of those behaviors out into the fore? Absolutely. No question about it. And and once you have this happen to you and you have pans or pandas, whether you know it or not, then anything else can be a trigger. A stressor like a parent's divorce, yeah. a move, um, exposure to a water damaged building. In this young woman's case, I think it was her parents getting COVID. And COVID rekindled, you know, because when you get a virus like COVID, your immune system reactivates. It's supposed to, to help you fight the infection. Well, in our kids that are susceptible, that reactivation may cause them not to even get sick with the infection, but it increases the inflammation and re-triggers the immune system response within the brain. Yeah. And and like you said, it's um, when when it is about this immune system, it can, it really is about the misfiring of, of the immune system. Right. Like and I want you to talk a little bit more about um, I've heard you say that it's, it's in your book about um, just the molecular mimicry of um, of our immune system. So do you, I just want you to talk a little bit about that to explain to parents what that is. Um, I know it's, it's a little bit more scientific for most parents, but I feel like it's important to understand that it's the body attacking itself, which is causing a lot of the inflammation. Absolutely. So let's take strep as an example. So a child gets a strep throat infection or even gets exposed to strep. Sometimes it's a sibling that has strep. The antibodies or the proteins, the immune system response should be attacking that strep infection, like the strep in the throat. But instead, in susceptible children, and it's about one in 200, we think, in my practice, it's one in two, but, you know, in the general population, in those susceptible children, those antibodies or that immune system response, rather than attacking the strep germ, attacks the brain. And when that happens, then there's inflammation, increase in microglia that that the the immune system um, uh, response that then causes the inflammation in this part of the brain. And why in children? Well, in children, the blood brain barrier is open. And so part of the immune system, like the TH17 cells, um, the, the T cell response, which is another part of the immune system, helps to break down that blood-brain barrier even more. And through the sinuses, what's called the cribiform plate, sort of like where your, yeah. your bridge of your nose is behind in the brain, it allows those antibodies to get in there. So it's not that you have a strep infection in your brain or a virus even in your brain. It's the molecular mimicry, the immune system attacking the brain rather than just attacking the germ. And that's why what I what I try to help practitioners learn too is the three-pronged approach. 
it's not just about treating the germ that may be the trigger, but it's treating the immune system, decreasing that inflammation and treating the symptoms. You know, you're not going to get better if your child's not sleeping. You're not going to survive, let alone, you know, your, your immune system rejuvenates when you're sleeping. So it's, it's part of your treating the immune system, but you have to treat whatever the, the symptoms that your child has, the sleep, the anxiety, the OCD, the tics, whatever they are, plus the trigger, but most importantly, the immune system. Yeah, I think that that, that makes so much sense just because when, you know, you've been talking about strep and Lyme mold in some cases, the predominant idea will be, okay, let's just go after those. But that's really not the root root cause of it all. It's basically that child's own immune system that is kind of out of whack, right? And so going back to that and trying to make sense of why the immune system is causing a lot of those symptoms in the first place. Because I think a lot of parents listening in, and we've spoken about, about tics and ADHD and, and autism here a lot. Um, and, you know, I've had parents say, okay, my kids have tics. Why is that? But and when they're listening, they probably think, oh, may, maybe my kid has pants or, or pandas. But it's, it's really not about the behaviors that they're coming in with. It's really about looking at what's happening under that, right? Even even if you have Tourette's or tics, it's what is happening at the immune level at the back that we need to really exactly. start thinking about. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and always doing detective work. So for example, in my own son, he got better and the ticks were gone, but then seven years later, he took off his shirt and he was 17. Now I hadn't seen his back and he had a Bartonella rash and I hadn't fully treated the Bartonella. When we started treating the Bartonella, the ticks all came back with a vengeance. But once we fully treated the Bartonella, they went away again. Then he's in college. He goes and lives in the biggest dorm room in all of the college, but it was in a basement of a dorm that was full of mold. And it resurged again. So then we had to treat the mold. Now, he's a 20-year-old at this point and like, mom, you're crazy. You know, this isn't causing it, but he he allowed me to treat it. And so again, got it better. Yeah. Um, and then when getting COVID, he got a resurgence again. And each time you have to treat the trigger, but you have to treat the the inflammation that it's causing. And so this is one thing I wanted to ask you, but I think I'll just ask you now instead of waiting. It's we so these children that have panda pandas, they basically need to be on guard for ever, like for the, for the rest of their life. Like they need to make sure that they know how to handle their, their triggers or understand what's going on. It's a great question. And first of all, if a child gets this as a young child, you know, two, three, seven, nine usually it resolves during puberty because that's when the blood-brain barrier starts to close. If they get it around puberty, like my son, it usually resolves when they reach adulthood, somewhere between the ages of 21 and 25. However, 
um, they're always more susceptible. I think they're more susceptible to the neuroinflammation of COVID. They're more susceptible to mold and things like that. And so they should be on alert without having PTSD, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is a fine line. You know, yeah. it, it's important to know how to keep a healthy lifestyle, diet, you know, nutrition, exercise, meditation, therapy, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy is so important for these parents and these children. And if you can do all of that and live a healthy lifestyle, there was nothing else my son needed this time to treat it. And he got better. He yeah. upped his exercise routine. He improved his diet a little bit. He, he upped his therapeutic interventions, you know, that does it. And, and it's hard, um, but that's what we should all be doing. Really? I, I was I just going to get to that. Like that's something we talk about no matter what condition we're right. talking about is it needs to be a lifestyle change that is sustained over time. It's not something that you're doing in, in a silo while you're getting your child better or that the only that one child, like that's my, my biggest, um, you know, thing that I tell all parents is if you're going to do this, you need to do it as a family and not as just that one child. Right. It needs these changes need to be done for everybody um, instead of just one person. Um, and, and it needs to be sustained. Right. It's not the moment you, you drop that something comes back. Right. And you're talking about the blood brain barrier and how it becomes impermeable. But with with things like EMF. Right. And we're more and more um, surrounded by all of that now with 5G, like literally at like our head level all, all around us. How is that affecting this whole like, you know, our blood brain barrier is, is getting permeable again. Um, all these toxins that are around us. So it's kind of something that we all need to be then worried about or no. Exactly. I, and I think that that what we shouldn't get stuck on is the the labels, just like we get stuck on labels in in allopathic medicine. And, you know, that's what I mean by the name it, blame it, tame it. You know, OK, you have autism. All you can do is risperidone, you yeah. know, or therapy or whatever. Um, it, we it, by definition, pans and pandas are pediatric. That's what the P is. But any of us at any time can have encephalitis. I mean, if you didn't read it, the book Brain on Fire, you know, that that was a young woman who was a, a, a reporter or a journalist um, for the Post, and she got this in her 20s. So yeah. absolutely. And I think the more toxins in general, glyphosates, EMFs, you know, pollution, um, you know, contamination of our food and our water, you know, the more that we're all exposed to this, the more susceptible we all are. So the more we can live happy, healthy lifestyles. But one more thing, just back to the PTSD, is that we also, as adults, as parents especially, need to breathe. Yeah. Meaning that if we get so focused on, oh my God, it's this, 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 and this, that stress over all of that is as big a trigger as the EMF and the glyphosates and everything else. So we need to learn for ourselves the mantras or the meditation or the exercise or the breathing or whatever it is that helps us to just take it down a notch and say, I'm doing the best I can. 
Yeah, especially you because know. the parents that are helping those children, um, even before they've they there's a recognition of what's going on with them, the, life is hard, right? And it's, it's such a big trigger just for the parents and and for their health. Um, and so just kind of coming back to that, now we know what kind of things to look out for, right? We know that it's probably OCD, there's some ticks, some behavior issues, or some regression in behavior. Now what? Like what how how can parents go to their doctors and really, I mean, not really getting a diagnosis, but an, an understanding of what it is. Right. Um, it's it's tough. And and really that's why I wrote the book, because so many doctors don't understand that, whether they're naturopaths, MDs, DOs, chiropractors, whatever. So I put 498 references in there so that people who are of a medical or clinical background might take it more seriously. And I also filled it with a lot of case studies. So you can look and say, this sounds like my child and, and take that and say, could you just look at this? Could you just, you know, um, and, and, and see if they will. And if you know, for instance, wow, my child has had a strep infection six weeks ago and now they have OCD talk to them about an antibiotic or an herb. It doesn't have to be antibiotics or an herb to treat that. And talk to them about ways um, that, that blood tests, and that's also in my book, that they might look at that might show the inflammation. You know, this is a clinical diagnosis. I don't want, what I don't want clinicians to do or parents to do is say, oh, the strep titer is one point above normal. It's got to be strep. No. If it's an abrupt onset, it doesn't matter what the strep titers show, it, yeah. but you can look for other things. They may need more vitamin D. They may need more zinc. They may need treatment of the inflammation, and that may show up. The most likely positive test in these children is a positive ANA, yeah. which is an anti-nuclear antibody. And it's it's usually mildly positive, not significantly positive as in other collagen vascular diseases like lupus or MS or anything like that. But it's a sign that the body is inflamed and dealing with something. So anyway, it, it, I think that, that most importantly, with a practitioner that you go to, one thing Sid taught me was if you listen, they will come. And if your practitioner isn't listening to you, find a different one. You can work with dietitians. The dietitian I work with can do telehealth consults with people all over the world. And she understands this disease as well as I do. And she could work with you with nutraceuticals, herbals, botanicals that could help get you started and help you figure out, be the detective, it's what's going on with your child. Yeah. So. And and in, in your book, you kind of do talk about um, a, a list of tests. And so you also refer to a few of them. Um, everyone talks about the Cunningham pa uh, panel, and that seems to be like, I don't know, the first go to for a lot of people. But like, I, I like what you talk about, you know, the ANA, the things that are more easier to do, the CRP, things that that are easily accessible. So starting off with those and then going on to like more complex tests, um, because a lot of them might not be available, especially in this part of the world, we might we have access to them, but not everybody has access. And so things like right. ANA, CRP, ESR are things that you can easily get access to. And so those are like good exactly. starting points um, to go off. 
And and one other thing I'd say about that is, is I'm a still a girl from West Virginia. And for those of you, the people listening, West Virginia is a very, very poor area of our country. And um, so I walk around with my mouth open at the cost of everything. Yeah. Um, and, and the Cunningham panel, though a wonderful test and shows neuroinflammation and can show the, the protein induced cam kinase response that we see with strep. Um, you know, that elevation, it's expensive. It's $950. And a lot of people don't have that money. And whenever I do a test, I say, what am I going to do differently with the results of this test? And if it doesn't change my management, I'm not going to recommend that test. So this child that was here, I didn't recommend that test because I'm going to treat her inflammation if there's strep or mycoplasma or something like that, I'll treat it. But that that test, though wonderful, um, shouldn't be used as the sine qua non for diagnosis. It's really the history and the physical exam. Yeah. And what is the starting point for parents listening to start um, working on, on their child's immune system, right? How, right. if they're listening and they're saying, okay, maybe my kid has has ticks, but maybe not, none of the other things just to give that, give them a, you know, a head start so that they don't really fall into that trap of having multiple things show up. How can they help their, their child's immune system? Right. So for ticks specifically, one of the best interventions is magnesium. Yeah. And that's in the allopathic literature as well as the, the functional mm-hmm. medicine literature. And it can be very helpful, magnesium threonate, magnesium taurate, magnesium glycinate. If a child is constipated, magnesium citrate or magnesium oxide. Then in treating the immune system, again, if they're constipated, aloe can be very, very helpful. It's a great anti-inflammatory and um, uh, cathartic. Mm-hmm. Um it, uh, curcumin, which is the active ingredient in the spice turmeric, you know, increase the, the, the use of that spice, but there are several wonderful nutraceuticals like the brand uh, from Nutramedics called Avea. AVEA is a wonderful form of curcumin. It's very available, really helps with anxiety and can help with ticks. Quercetin, is a great anti-inflammatory, especially in our COVID-induced um, kids, but in many others. Mm-hmm. Um, even just looking at ibuprofen, you know, NSAIDs, you know, if a child gets better with just giving 10 milligrams per kilogram of ibuprofen, that shows you that there's something inflammatory mm-hmm. going on, that that tick or anxiety or OCD, if it decreases in frequency, severity or intensity, that can be very helpful. Um, There are others like LDN and um, chromalin sodium that may need a prescription that are also very, very helpful, but other antihistamines, flavonoids, besides quercetin, things like um, luteolin, rutin, natural antihistamines can be really, really helpful in decreasing the inflammation that may be causing these symptoms. Yeah. And just um, in in addition to that, like making sure that, you know, just things like diet, right? Those are like just fundamentals, right? Like those are things that if you, one thing I always tell everyone is that you want to do all of these other things, but if you don't get the foundation right, it just doesn't stick. 
Absolutely. And, you know, a good diet, you know, it doesn't have to be a special diet, but a good diet is anti-inflammatory. It's filled with good proteins, whether they be animal-based proteins or seeds and nuts, um, uh, good oils, you know, olive oil, avocado oil, macadamia nut oil, good vegetables, some fruits and limited carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. limited um, pastas and breads and things like that. And then the next level is gluten-free, casein-free. And I think that that truly all children with an autism diagnosis, and I wish that all the children with pans and pandas would do a trial of gluten-free and casein-free because it does make a difference. Those molecules are large, hard to digest digest, inflammatory in their own right. And many of our children may have sensitivities to them also. So, you know, if a parent is thinking about it, just do it. It's, it's not that hard. One other quick little story at the beginning of COVID, you know, um, my husband, uh, you know, was not gluten-free and he had severe arthritis. And um, I said, look, I'm doing all the shopping. I'm doing all the cooking. You're going to eat what I eat. And that's it. And, you know, he wasn't, the restaurants were closed. There wasn't anything else he could do. (laughs) Three months later, I asked him, where's the ibuprofen, which he had been taking daily. He said, I don't know. I haven't needed it in three months. So he has been gluten-free ever since and is now a huge advocate for everything we do, was a little bit, but now he's living it. And now he can talk about it. And and so just try it. It's three months that, that it can make a difference. You know, one thing I've noticed is that children, once they're off of gluten and dairy, they feel that difference. Try giving a kid a cookie that has gluten in it. They will say no because they know the difference in their body of how they feel yes. before and after. It's yeah. miraculous um, yeah. when you actually do that and, and they feel that difference. And so we see that. Absolutely. Um, but you know. the last thing I would say about the gluten and casein is remember it is addictive. Yeah. These kids can almost be like heroin addicts when yeah. you take them off of it. The first kid I ever did this with was 11 and he closed himself in his room for three days and tore apart his room. And then when he came out, he said, I'll never eat it again. But you can get that, that it's not really a die off reaction, but that healing crisis yeah. that, that like an addict, when you take the drug away. So get through that you yeah. know, as you remove it, but it does need to be a hundred percent. Yeah. You see a little bit of it. Again, those antibodies, those proteins are still attacking it. And that's what causes the inflammation. So yeah. anyway, just one last before we go, I'm mindful of your time. There's, there's this idea of, of antibiotics being a great or a successful treatment for pans and pandas. What's your take on that? So um, you, I work with two naturopaths and a dietitian, none of whom can prescribe antibiotics. Yeah. And they treat these children very, very, very successfully with herbals. And there is wonderful research on herbs like usnea and berberine in the form of golden seal and neem and tega, which is a pine needle extract in treating strep and hatunia and isatis in treating mycoplasma and Japanese knotweed in treating Bartonella. And they have taught me a lot 
as an allopathic physician, um, I often start with um, azithromycin, for example, because we have so much bartonella and mycoplasma and strep. And often the children can get better a little bit faster. And sometimes I need that as a hook. But I will then almost immediately and as soon as I can move to herbals. But a lot of times we will start with herbals, especially if it's been going on a long time. You know, the antibiotics may do nothing at this point. Azithromycin may help because of its immune system effects, not anything to do with the antibiotic effects. So herbals can be very helpful and and. I think an herbal rotation, and that's why I mentioned many of them, is really important because go back to that gut. The, you know, you keep using the same thing, the gut's going to say, aha, you know, no, I'm going to build up resistance to that one. These germs are nope. But if you keep rotating it every one to two weeks, then you're fooling the the system into accepting it and and treating it successfully herbally. Yeah. And I feel like that's why working with someone who has a lot of understanding of pants and pandas, especially is so, so, so important. And there's so few um, out there who are actually doing it. And so I'm really grateful that you're actually taking the time to train people and then talk to us about it. And then your book as well. Um, You did tell us about a a free giveaway that you have. Um, Can you tell us a bit more about that? And then where can people find you? Absolutely. So um, there is a free field guide, and that's sort of the first couple chapters of my book. And so I will give you the URL, and anyone's welcome to look at that. Um, the book is available on Amazon in ebook and soft cover format, and you can certainly purchase it there. Um, and uh, my website is D. R O'Hara, D-R-O-H-A-R-A. And on there, I also have a membership program, which any parent can do, which gives you access to some live Q&As that I'll be doing quarterly. Um, I have one coming up on Saturday. Um, It gives you access to 30 videos I've done that are all two to four minutes, very specifics about nutraceuticals, about herbals, about symptoms, about what do I do if I'm stuck, about all sorts of things, as well as my trademark flowchart that's in there. It gives you a step-by-step description of that. And then there are also six lectures that I've done specifically on pans, pandas, pots, which is something our kids deal with, Lyme, and a bunch of case studies. So anybody can do that. And then I also have a mentorship program for clinicians. So I've had parents that really, their, their clinician wants to learn, but they don't want to they don't know how. And so I've done a mentoring where the parent and the clinician is on a video and they send me all their data. And I say, Hey, this is what I'd consider for this particular child. And the parent pays for it. So the doctor is more willing to do it. Um, and, and so, you know, those are, those are all ways and that's all on my website if anybody's interested, but I so appreciate you doing this and having these podcasts and helping parents to, to just learn the, the functional medicine ways to, to take care of all of us. So, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's what we all want to do. We just want to give that information out there to parents and, you know, we're so grateful for all the time that you're putting into not just parents but also other practitioners so thank you so much for coming on it's 
been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcast. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find the show more easily. Visit momenasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive a weekly update. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.